Hello and welcome to the Airline Business Podcast, discussing key news and trends in the global airline sector. This time, the rain in Spain is mostly IAGs, as it makes a surprise move for Air Europa, or carriers in Europe, and much of the rest of the world come to that, dig in as the climate turns colder. Emirates finally pins down its long-haul fleet plans during the Dubai Air Show, and can Brazil's aviation sector finally fulfil its potential? My name's Graham Dunn, and I'm joined by my airline business colleague, Lewis Harper. Hi, Graham. And Lewis, it's been a busy and hectic few weeks, uh, not just for ourselves, we've both been on the road uh, mm. uh, travelling, but also for the sector as a whole, it's um, a strong uh, month of news. It has been, yeah, it hasn't been difficult to fill uh, the, the, the kind of last print issue of the year, certainly for, for airline business. I mean, as, as you mentioned, I was in... Um, uh, Brasilia for the the um, outer airline leaders forum. Of course, you've been you were in Kuwait City weren't you? for the uh, Arab Air Carriers Organisation conference, and obviously uh, a couple of weeks later we had the Dubai Air Show, and uh, Max mm. Kingsley Jones will be joining us uh, later. Was part of our team at that show as well, and um, obviously Emirates was dominating the horizon there. But I think across all the events we've been to and the commentary that's come out especially around we it's obviously been the third quarter reporting season for a lot of Hmm. airlines in europe and the us and so forth you know there's this this general backdrop of a a slightly more challenging environment now that seems to come you know i think i usually run airlines approach their winter of discontent (laughs) bleak winter uh a series of failed puns pretty much every winter especially for the last two or three years is it's felt like mm. the market could could fall down at any point and and you know a number of those uh, pressures whether that be you know what's going to happen with brexit or the uncertainty mm. of trade wars and the us and china mm. um th- these things have all have been there and i'm not sure we're much clearer <laughs> now of any of those no i think yeah the, the few things are for sure obviously the, the cargo market obviously Less important for some carriers than others, but is yeah pretty pretty challenging at the moment. We're still seeing a, you know every month, um, year on year, kind of demand is down. Uh, but as you say, it's a, it's a curious picture because we're always talking from the context of you know the kind of twenty seventeen levels of profitability, which were kind of you know as high as they, they've ever been. So, but uh, yeah, undoubtedly, undoubtedly, sorry, they're heading in the the kind of um, the wrong direction profits for for a lot of carriers not to say that they're still not making a lot of money in a lot of cases but as we talked about before you look at the US market where they, you know obviously there's been a lot of consolidation that's happened there um, yeah, um, you're getting the the, the the three majors you know their, their results are very strong you know they're seeing profits rise year on year despite some obvious challenges around the max etc but yeah then then we look to europe and there's a slightly different picture you know profits haven't kind of kind of been so strong year on year and also as we talk about a lot there are carriers on the fringes that that are, are really struggling it moment. is a really it's a paradoxical market mm. i think the european airline market because you have both um historically they're making as much money as they've they've ever made as a sector as a whole. Equally, we're seeing quite a number of casualties. Obviously, um, Thomas Cook was the big big news uh, a month or so ago. But we, you're seeing airlines airline failures, and you're seeing you know carriers like Alitalia, which remains in limbo. Mm. Um, we've been looking at the results of the of, of the big three, the major three mm. carrier groups, and uh, IAG, uh, British Airways, and Iberia's parent Lufthansa. Uh, Lufthansa Group and Air France, KLM, mm. 
are they still all reported, you know, historically very strong profits in yeah. that third quarter? But they're all a little bit down. And I think um, what's interesting is is they've taken uh, they're taking a very cautious approach mm. around capacity, around outlook for the time ahead. That, that that's correct. So um, yeah, you, you, a lot of the commentary, as you say, that the, the profits, you know, is, um, on face value were relatively strong. But as you say, the looking ahead, particularly to, to next year, there's a lot of talk of um, of uh, capacity increases not being as, as strong as expected. You look at Lufthansa, and they're talking about kind of consolidating operations around Austrian Brussels Airlines. Um, so. Um, they're certainly not as bullish as, as they have been in, in kind of you know, two, two or three years ago in, in, in their outlook. And I think um, a lot of you know, the analyst comment I've seen around this is it is sensible. Um, it's, um, we're seeing obviously a, a big theme in, in Europe as well as been fares being rock bottom, you know, airlines struggling with the capacity they have to, to make that gets any momentum on fares in the right direction for them so so there is i think yeah um um certainly a theme there you know in some cases like norwegian that's quite extreme you know you look at their year on year um <clears throat> capacity figures and they're kind of 20 30 percent down um so so yeah there's a lot happening and and the max situation as well while it's um a lot of airlines talk about the financial impact of it in terms of the the overall kind of sectors in each region I think it hasn't necessarily been um, um, necessarily a bad thing having that capacity out of the market I think in in an environment where you you, know, you look at Ryanair for example again they're highly profitable but you know, the, the pressure on fares is, is kind of seems to be a constant at the moment it's interesting that the uh, you're seeing it the carrier groups but it is true on the of the mm. low-cost carriers groups as well EasyJet um, you know they're looking at uh, capacity growth over the, the coming year at the low end of their tr- traditionally grow somewhere between 3 and 8% a year, and that's going to be at the low end of it. Ryanair continuing to talk about that more restrained capacity uh, view. And then Norwegian, who you mentioned again, really interesting airline. They actually, their third quarter was was the uh, you know a record for them mm. um, but you would you would kind of expect progress in that said so they've gone through a major optimization cost cutting efforts that trim the network they've been obviously through this massive expansion and you know been urgently searching for those profits mm. so you know they're reporting some progress in that third quarter I suppose the question for them is is making that sustainable yeah um, just on that as well there's interesting obviously that um, Norwegian and JetBlue have been talking about possibly having a closer relationship in the future. That, and obviously, with JetBlue's plans to start transatlantic flying um, in 2021, there's something interesting there. Obviously, a lot of people, yeah, Michael O'Leary, mm. will constantly tell you that Norwegian won't exist in two weeks' time. But, but you know, if, if and you know, at the moment they've just appointed a new CEO, Norwegian. Obviously, um, Jacob Schram, I presume is how you pronounce his I name. That sounds quite, yeah. quite convincing. <laughs> I like that. Um, Again, uh, interesting. Comes from a retail background. Mm. So he was at Circle K, I think, the um, convenience store group. He was their European head. So, um, and just an aside, uh, 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 Air New Zealand appointed someone from a retail background in um, Greg Foran, mm. um, who was from uh, Walmart, I think, in the US. He's a New Zealand native, but he was in the US. So, uh, an indication there when we talk about growth for airlines as well, they may be looking more towards those kind of ancillary mm. kind of areas. Um, um, for growth, um, which you know, may be reflected in who they're choosing as CEOs, but just an aside. And Norwegian actually is, as another aside to your aside, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll trump your aside. Uh, it is interesting that Norwegian, who've gone through this this leadership, Norwegian have done 
extraordinary things to have mm. grown out of this tiny, small regional carrier and have genuinely changed the the, comp- the competitive dynamic on on the transatlantic force. Mm. Um, a lot of activity from their competitors, but it's been difficult for them to find profits. That has really, you know, Bjorn Kjors was uh, the driver of that, and, and you had his colleague Bjorn Kies, I think it is. Yeah, I think, I think so. uh, it's really testing my uh, Norwegian <laughs> pronunciations. And they sort of led that for quite a long time. And, and you know, real aviation specialists have grown that, that knowledge, mm. and you have a Norwegian now, a leadership team, which has kind of come from a more business perspective, I guess, mm. um, which I think just reflects where Norwegian is putting its focus and emphasis at the moment. Mm. And then uh, back to the kind of the big network carriers mm. in Europe, we've got um, Air France, KLM. They had a big investor day, actually, um, just before I think the results came out, around the same time. Mm. Um, I don't think we've heard anything massively new from them. I think the theme we're very much getting, and I've, we've written, again, we talk about <laughs> stories we've written several times, I think the, the uh, Ben Smith kind of simplification of their It, their, um, it, it is structures. a word that keeps, if you search flightglobal.com for Air France and <laughs> simplification, you'll find an alarming number of stories with similar headlines. Mm. But that is, you know, that that's their sort of, uh, the message they're trying to do. And, and you know, as a business, it, that was quite a complex, um, mm. you know, complex fleet, complex array of brands. That's clearly what they're trying to do. Mm. But, you know, that's there's there's a lot of work there. Yeah, and I think they, um, they're very keen to talk about what they're going to do because they don't want any nasty surprises. We all know that, um, as uh, you know, anyone leading Air France, KLM, has... Um, may have had good ideas in the past, but the problem hasn't been um, the ideas as, as much as the um, the ability to implement them. So, um, you know, at the moment, as far as you can have at Air France KLM, the unions are kind of as on board as they've they've ever been, I guess. And and then, of course, earlier in the year, we had the issue with um, the ownership of Air France KLM with the Dutch government upping its stake to match that of the French government. So, um, you know, the, the, they're talking a good game, and it, it seems logical what they're talking about in terms of consolidating the the brands and um, as we yeah again simplifying the, the 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 fleet structure and that kind of thing but as ever with Air France KLM you know you really want to see where they are in two or three years time whether we're still writing that piece saying that they're planning to simplify things or whether it's actually happening and that's the and, but, and, and both Air France KLM and, and more uh, more Lufthansa continue to be linked with Alitalia in some mm. way, but Alitalia attempts that uh, uh, is proving a struggle uh, now getting on board some of those Italian investors. So that story continues to rumble in the background. Um, the Italian market always an extremely attractive and appealing one, in which mm. the low cost carriers have made huge grounds. But the the network carriers continue to look at the other carrier that probably uh, which made again quite big had its uh, capital markets day in November. Um, IAG. And in that, uh, we had Willie Walsh talking about, you know, showing a glimpse into the into the future, saying that he would probably uh, step down in mm. in a couple of years' time. And again, there's you know how you fill that role in getting IAG into its um, future shape and the various bits and pieces. And um, uh, yeah, and just on that as well, he talks a bit about um, branding, and I think that links obviously to uh, to uh, particularly in the Spanish market. There's a there's an acquisition in the works, I think, which, as you mentioned in the introduction, is a bit of a surprise for, a, for us. Air yeah. Europa, and uh, one of our colleagues here said nobody uh, had a headline, I think, which is nobody expected the Spanish acquisition. Mm. Dominic Perry, I'll give uh, I'll give uh, a shout out for that. I thought it was very good, but nobody did. It was uh, uh, the move for uh, Air Europa, Spanish airline, was a real surprise, and we'll um, talk a bit more about that in uh, part two. 
Europe's aviation industry is facing many challenges, from socio-economic to regulatory and environmental. The sector continues to adapt and evolve to overcome them, striving for a safer, more sustainable and more integrated Europe. The A4E Aviation Summit, in association with Flight Global, provides the perfect opportunity to take part in the discussion. For more information, go to a4eaviationsummit.eu. An event takes place on the 3rd of March 2020 in Brussels. So yes, it was a big surprise when... Um, oh, it shouldn't be a surprise to us, we were meant to be following this, but it was a surprise to us, and it was a surprise to a lot of people when IAG announced it was uh, acquiring Air Europa, the Spanish um, airline. Again, um, one of the reasons I guess that was a bit of a surprise was um, Air Europa, they're a member of Sky Team, they had been looking at... Um, possible people to, to acquire but Air France KLM had always seen mm. been seen as the most likely but of course that whole segment sector has changed a little bit because of the uh, Delta acquisition mm. of Latam. It's, it's a very fascinating <laughs> development um, um, yeah there, there are all sorts of um, things going on that you know alliances alone so the, the mm. knock-on effect of you know that, as you mentioned the Delta investment in Latam is Latam leaving one world, and then um, you can't help but think, you know, as much as um, IAG talk about um, the uh, Air Europa uh, proposed acquisition being about you know, building Madrid as a hub, which makes sense, but you can't help but see it in the context of the fact that they're losing LATAM Airlines as a as a one world partner, and um, and obviously that's a huge market to be looking into, um, uh, particularly you know Brazil, as we'll we'll, we'll talk about in, in a moment. So. There are all sorts of considerations. The the other really interesting one is just how big IEG's presence would then become in, in the Spanish market. I mean, there's obviously the question whether you know regulators are going to allow it to happen. You would presume there'll be some some mandated kind of um, uh, changes to their network as a result of it. But um, but yeah, it's it's it, it feels as though the they obviously feel the competitive side of it becomes more manageable mm. almost certainly because of the uh, the ending of the, the relationship with LATAM mm. or, uh, so that you have a different competitor on that route I mean it is really interesting IAG's presence in Spain so obviously Iberia founding founded Caribbean Spain's biggest operator and then they developed their Iberia Express operation mm. uh, which was short from uh, Madrid I think that's right then IAG acquired uh, Vueling, which is really kind of had a, a half investment in short haul. Largely, uh, Barcelona is its biggest base. Obviously, it has bases used that across parts of Europe. Level, which is its long haul low cost brand, which it has used on uh, long haul flights from um, uh, Barcelona. Hmm. And now Air Europa. Yeah, so the, the 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 attraction I think with Air Europa, as we're just touching on, is it it is a huge uh, has huge connect- connectivity with South America, and I think yeah, as we're saying, having lost um, um, that well in the process of losing that Latam relationship, there's an obvious um, advantage to it there. Obviously, this is a s- Southern Europe, so it's not necessarily um, Latam would obviously be a big, big player, relatively big player into Spain in terms of overseas carriers but and uh, Willie Walsh talking about that that mix of um, brands I think he has he said in the in the uh, investor day that um, that probably isn't sustainable so um, we we may be looking at them um, consolidating some of those Spanish brands particularly if Air Europa deal goes through I mean they've said for now they'll keep the the Air Europa name but um, but yeah so um, it just gives them uh, I guess um, you know 
that that kind of Latin American connectivity they may be losing with LATAM. Um, Air Europa's uh, Max customer has got Max aircraft on order, so there's a bit of synergy with the the, the fleet there. Um, it has a it's, it's a leisure focused carrier. Obviously, it has um, short haul routes as well. I don't know if they'll be as as interesting, but obviously, um, um, they're um, I think percentage wise looking at in Madrid moving from around IAG carriers around just below 50% to up into the 60s in terms of the, the seats that IAG would be accounting for in Madrid. So um, it's it's um, yeah, a relatively big move in, in that regard as well. So certainly, um, um, as you say, maybe we should have seen this coming, but <laughs> there, is a, there is a logic to it. Hey, Europe is always, I'll be honest, a bit of a mystery um, for us as journalists. We haven't... We've, tried in vain a lot of time to get to talk to them and um and i guess um the closest i ever came i once did a press trip which involved a connecting flight in barcelona and we were going to meet uh in uh mallorca i think uh, Mm. uh, the man himself the connecting flight failed and so we did a conference call with uh mr hidalgo from a room in barcelona airport my poor uh language skills because i didn't speak any spanish right i didn't speak english so it was questions were asked via a UK journalist who had some sort of broken <laughs> Spanish, <laughs> some very elaborate pronunciations, but mm. so the quote had, you know, various, you know, various, you read back the quotes and they'd be, we had, uh, we're very interested in taking 10 more uh, British aerospace, something about this, and yeah. then five of Embraer's. And you go, well, I can't run that. So anyway, that was mm. nice. As you say, you should really know more uh, on that region, having been out in uh, Latin America recently yourself. Yeah, and uh, experiencing some of those language challenges, actually, because <laughs> obviously we're there, um, we produce our, our dailies there, we did three issues of um, airline business daily there, which went, went really well, and the, because of so much going on in that region at the moment, it was a, it was a great time to be out there, really. Um, but yeah, the um, location was Brasilia, so the, the capital of Brazil. Not not a place that obviously has the high profile in terms of a destination for business or tourism, mm. really. That say Sao Paulo or, or Rio would. But um, but it's the where the government's base. It's a fascinating city in the sense that it was built. There was nothing there. I think it was built in the 50s, 60s, um, and now um, obviously the whole government apparatus is there, and and that was the reason Alta chose it because the Brazilian market. Um, it's, it's always been a bit of an enigma. I mean, it's that I think I've, I've written the, the comment for the, the new issue of AB and, and kind of said, if you can think of any issue that's affecting um, a market in the world, the chances are the Brazilian market probably has some version of it. And in the same way, if you look at any opportunity that is in um, many markets in the world, the chances are you'd see it in Brazil. So it's an interesting one. I think the the sense I got was that Alta wanted it there because um, whatever you think about the... Um, the, the um, current administration uh, bolsonaro the the president they they have um and there are areas where maybe i might disagree with some of the, their outlook on, on the world but but certainly from a business perspective they're they're showing themselves to be more business friendly and and one of the biggest problems of brazil is it's not been a, it's been it's an expensive place to run an airline so um uh, particularly a, a low-cost carrier for example fuel costs are, are, a few percentage points higher than the, the global average. Um, um, it's quite heavy on regulation of airlines. So we saw earlier this year that um, the Brazilian Congress tried to reintroduce a, um, a requirement that all uh, airlines give every passenger 23 kilograms of free luggage, for example. So you can imagine if you're running or thinking of starting up a low-cost carrier or 
or an ultra low cost mm-hmm. carrier in that market, you're hearing that you're, you're going to be concerned. Um, so it's a market where um, there's massive potential, but yeah, where to start? I mean, it's, it's uh, Brazil's had a lot of economic problems in recent years. Um, it's it's seen um, you know talking about touching things we see elsewhere. It's seen obviously LATAM, you know, LAN and TAM merge into mm. a, a big carrier there. We've had Avianca Brazil fall over this year, um, and another aspect of Brazil is something that's made it fascinating is the majority of the Amazon rainforest is there and when you talk about um, environmental issues mm. and things yeah. that really um, capture the imagination in terms of the human being's impact on the environment they, we've got probably one of the the, the, the most talked about um, places for that mm. I've probably missed stuff because there's so much going on there but it does seem there is an effort by the government to, to, um, to encourage more commercial aviation so we've seen them um, loosen the foreign ownership rules, for example. So now, um, unusually in, in the global market now, that uh, an airline could be 100% owned by a, a foreign business. That hasn't been properly tested yet. And, and intriguingly, um, Air Europa was one of the first carriers that is potentially going to try and take advantage of that. So they did, they have applied, I think, to be to operate domestic services in Brazil. So again, I'm not sure on the progress on that. And I think um, until you know an airline with a foreign owner is actually operating the country i think it's difficult to judge um whether that that is going to be truly successful but but um so the, the government talks a good game it's um the last round of airport concessions were quite well received so um there's private investment going into the industry so but it a did, lot of them answer questions still it, yeah. it is I mean, and and i think it's interesting and it's the point that that you'd made about, I suppose, in, in, in and we've seen this quite a lot in Latin America, where policies have shifted at a government level quite quite dramatically. You've seen that in Mexico around the um, building of the airport and then the closing, <laughs> the uh, total change of about turn on the airport there. Mm. And there was another reminder of that in Argentina, I guess. Yeah, we, we um, so yeah, the Macri administration, obviously, they, uh, Macri lost the presidential election. He was seen as someone who had, had finally allowed uh, an industry to go up that wasn't, you know, wasn't massively uh, favouring um, Aerolinias, the, uh, obviously, the, the local state-owned carrier there. So we're actually seeing real, you know, genuine progress in the industry. Uh, Norwegian, we were talking about earlier, obviously, have Norwegian Air Argentina operating there. We're seeing Fly Bondi and, and others... Um, and others actually building up, we're starting to build a low cost kind of market there because of those policies. But of course, overnight, you go from that to um, reverting back to a government that, that kind of, um, for all intents and purposes, seems to be have a, an agenda similar to the, the older uh, administrations, which are less business friendly and more about protecting the local assets. Um, hearing the CEO panel at Outer, it was. Um, People were um, so Cueto, Enrique Cueto, the LATAM CEO, and uh, Pedro Harbour on the Copa CEO, uh, both talking, suggesting they didn't think there there would be massive change. It may be mm. that um, the, the government might continue those kind of policies. But I think the um, the frustration you really feel in that in that market is like you're saying you if you want to do something, you're you're constantly, I guess, looking over your shoulder, thinking um, is something going to happen that fundamentally changes um, my operating environment. You compare it to, to Europe, for example, of course, <laughs> aside from Brexit, which we won't go into, um, you do have a, you know, a, a relatively well-functioning kind of um, Europe-wide mm. aviation market, for example, um, that um, I, I guess that a lot of the Latin carriers would be relatively envious of, because you know, we're just talking about Brazil, but yeah, like you think today, these, these issues... Um, 
exist and obviously just flying between two countries in that region um, raises a lot of challenges because they will have quite different regulations and and um you know the you know uh, the brazilian carriers like uh, goal will talk about you know their pilots um you know working time directors for example will be affected flying intra-region versus flying mm. within brazil and there's all sorts of um considerations that still make it challenging but there's certainly an effort to to do something about it in brazil and they have massive plans i mean it's you know one of the biggest economies in the world and um yeah if someone can make it work then then great but um that's um i think people need a lot of convincing that, that it's truly a place where you can put your money and be sure that you know the, the rules of the game aren't going to change um the next time there's an election or so you can read um, much more from our coverage from uh, the Alta event and on all things Latin America at flightglobal.com forward slash Alta, that's A-L-T-A, yeah, I think. That's right. <laughs> um, and uh, in part three, we'll be looking at another market which has been making a lot of news, uh, the Middle East. The A4E Aviation Summit 2020, which happens in association with Flight Global, includes speakers such as Ben Smith, the Air France KLM CEO, EasyJet Chief Lohan Lundgren, Willie Walsh of IAG, Carsten Spohr of Lufthansa and Ryanair Group CEO Michael O'Leary. For more information, go to a4eaviationsummit.eu. Welcome back. I'm joined by Max Kingsley-Jones, the Executive Director of Content at Flight Global. And Max, you're... Um, you're just back from the Dubai Air show, aren't you? Yeah, it was an interesting show as usual. A mm. um, few camels on the way in every day, which is always <laughs> makes you feel like you're in the right part of the world, in the desert. Yeah. And uh, quite an exciting show, actually, a lot going on. Yeah, so um, we know that um, Dubai can be a mixed one, can't it? Because some years there's been some absolutely huge years um, of, of huge orders, then a bit quieter. How did this one play out kind of overall? Um, in the... Yeah, so there's a bit of a steady tick over, really, during the show. We... Um, we had we had the show topped and tail with Emirates announcements, um, which we were sort of expecting, although there was a few twists in the tail. Mm. And uh, we also saw some Max orders, and um, we saw an appearance of Etihad as well. So quite an interesting show. And uh, there was also the usual uh, quite exciting static part with some big airliners. Uh, we had, I think, three 787s in the static and uh, an A380, amongst other things, as well as a variety of other smaller aircraft. Okay, and it's um it's very much Emirates, wasn't it? That's the, the interesting one. You, you've um tried to make sense of of Emirates orders in a great piece you can read on on flightglobal.com. But just run us through. So so um and obviously you had the advantage as well. We did a an online business cover interview with Tim Clark not long before um the event. So you, you've got a, a real insight into um into their thinking and, and their orders, and you've tried to make sense, haven't you, of the, the numbers? Because you know at face value they ordered a lot of aircraft, but when you actually look below the surface the, the the numbers stack up in a slightly different way don't they yeah well just during the show from um from the, the tuesday i think it was um we had or sorry the monday actually we had 50 a350s ordered uh we were expecting an order for uh 40 a330s and 30 a350s so overall the number of aircraft ordered from airbus was lower in terms of units and then we had um, 30 787s ordered on Wednesday of the show, towards the end of the show. Uh, but of course, uh, that was an order that's been really sat, sat in limbo for two years because they actually announced an order or a commitment for 40 787s two years ago at the Dubai show in 2017. So that was effect- effectively the uh, consummating of a two-year deal and 10 units less. But if you dig deeper, what they actually did was cancelled 30 or substituted, which is probably the politically correct term to describe what they did, 
3777 uh, orders, so mainly 777Xs, but some 777-300Rs. And then on the Airbus side, they cancelled 39A380s, the, basically the last 39A380s right. they've got on order. So they've only got about 10, 10 left to come now, and that programme then ends. So overall, um, I think they only moved the dial about 30 aircraft, actually, over the last two years, which is kind okay. of it reflects where they're at, because... You know, things have moved on for the golf carriers over the last couple of years. Uh, the, mm. the world economy's um, impacted their expansion plans. There's been a politi- political unrest in the region as well. So no surprise that the fleet growth is is slowing. A mm. lot of those aircraft also are replacements. So overall, what we're seeing is a good consolidation by Emirates with new equipment rather than massive expansion, which the headline numbers might indicate. Mm. And um, on the 330neo, is that am I right that Clark still hinted there may still be orders for them in the future or is that yes he hinted that in the middle of the week and then Mm. subsequently ordered Boeing 787 so and we haven't had a chance to speak to Tim since that Mm. but the the vibe I'm getting speaking to the Emirates people I know is that the A330 the door to the A330 Neo order may still be open at some point Mm. Tim's been very vocal as we've talked about on on the podcast in the past and and we talked about in the in the article in airline business and online about the poor performance of the engine makers particularly Rolls-Royce and I think he has concerns about the maturity of the engine on the A330neo and so uh, I think he wants to see how that plays out over the next year or two he doesn't want to be the um, uh, the canary in the um, in the coal mine as it were with that he wants to he wants someone else to find out whether that engine's going to to really work as well the the question marks really are because that engine on the 330neo is a derivative of the engine that powers the 787 Mm. the trent 1000 that powers the 787 and so there's um potential future unrest if you like in the um in the reliability and so i think he just wants to see how that plays out so we'll see there but Mm. certainly on the um it's, it's nice to see the boeing side of things finally sorted out after rumors and speculation and indications by emirates so that's moved on Mm. and we've kind of got a solid picture now what's going with boeing and and how much is this so um we're looking at kind of the the mid-size kind of wide bodies how much is still to play out on the 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 larger wide bodies so um is is there still more to come for them in the near future in terms of orders or i think they are pretty much full now Mm. they've got um about 126 i think uh 777x is coming right uh the question that we haven't got the answer to, nor is Emirates, is when they will be starting to come because the aircraft should have been in flight test. It isn't. It may enter flight test in the next few weeks or months. That's Boeing's ambition. Uh, and then it may be delivered about a year and a half later. So we're looking at uh, mid-2021. So I think, again, until that programme is revived and starts to move in the direction of in- entering to service, uh, we won't get any more clarity really around what Emirates' uh, plans are for that. OK. And uh, moving across to look at there, of course, the big rival Boeing um, in a, a very uh, goes without saying a very challenging year. Um, what sense did you get overall of Boeing's mood going into the show? Well, obviously, the uh, the Max is uh, the big story. Yeah. Uh, there was no Max aircraft, no seven three seven Max on the stand that I saw. Anyway, the seven three seven was represented on the Boeing stand by a model of the. Boeing converted freighter edition of the current 737, the Mm. the next generation 737, so that wasn't there obviously there's no 737 MAX on display because the aircraft's grounded but they did announce some orders for the aircraft, Uh, there was not the big IAG type order, we thought there might Mm. be something from one of the the big players, a nice big statement by Boeing, that didn't happen but it was important that they didn't get completely um, blown away by Airbus on this one, so they had 
Aristana, which is a new customer for the Max ordering 30. And they also had Sun Express, which is an existing Max customer, uh, topping up its order by converting some options 10. And there was also an undisclosed customer ordering a 20 plus 10. So the Max was being talked about. Mm. Uh, I think perhaps there's some sporty deals on offer at the moment because uh, Boeing has the advantage of, sort of earlier delivery slots uh, than Airbus. Airbus can't actually respond to any demand really at the moment for mm. Max customers because it's sown up uh, seven, sorry, sewn up A320 Neo deliveries until 2024, 2025. So there's no real early slots there. Mm. So it's kind of got its hands behind it, tied behind its back on that one. So it's important that the uh, the seven three seven was being sold at the show, and uh, it wasn't a complete flatline by any means. Yeah, and in terms of um, did they give any indication? I know they've talked about they were talking about by the end of the year it would fly again. Is there any more indication on on that? Yeah, I mean they caveat everything they say with obviously it's up to the regulator, mm. uh, but their aspiration or ambition now is to have the aeroplane ready to go back into service in January or the January time frame, I think is the word they use, which I presume means quarter one, mm. but subject to approval from the uh, US Federal Aviation Administration. So that's where they're at with that. Mm. Um, and they are very keen to remind people that the aeroplane has a great value proposition. It was selling well before the accident. They're confident that once the aircraft is proved to be safe and back in service, that they'll be able to continue where they where they uh, were before and and. You know the the aircraft will be selling in the numbers they expect it to, and come back at Airbus mm. strongly. From a, a consumer point of view as well, we hear it's that concern, isn't there? Are people going to want to fly on on a Max aircraft? I mean, we've heard United talk about um, the fact they will make it very clear if you're booking onto a Max flight, and they'll they'll let you rebook onto a non-Max flight if if you're, you're un, unhappy about that. Do you get any sense from these airlines ordering whether they're worried about that, or is that just something they think will pass? We've talked about this actually to a few mm. airlines. Uh, we had the Airlines 2050 conference uh, in October in London and we talked to uh, TUI about the um, the branding and they haven't decided yet what they're going to do. Tim Clark, who doesn't have Maxes in his fleet, but he does have them via Fly Dubai, he feels strongly about the fact that they, the name has to, has to change. Mm. We're already seeing some airlines doing that. But what we did get at the show was the sense that these airlines are that were ordering the aircraft, you'd expect them to say this, of course, very confident that the aircraft will be returned to service soon and will be returned to service with a full safety approval and mm. uh, and there won't be any question marks over it. But I think it's really important that these airlines are, are not seen to be trying to cover up the fact that the aircraft is um, is a max uh, because I think that's the that would be a very dangerous uh, um, public relations strategy to go on, I think, and mm. to try and... Um, disguise it to the consumers will probably be more da- damaging than just being open about it yeah and um, obviously the max is something we've heard hear about every day to moving from that to uh, an airline and uh, and a ceo of course we don't hear from that often so we've got tony douglas near neighbors to um to emirates and etihad um we, we all know they've had um a lot of financial trouble and tony douglas has been there a couple of years now i think to try and turn it around and he he was at the event did he have have much to say about how things are going at, at Etihad? Yeah, it was great to see uh, Tony Douglas turn up at the show. Obviously, they're, um, the, the Dubai Asia represents the whole of the UAE, and uh, Abu Dhabi is the capital of the UAE, so it's important that Etihad's there. They had their Manchester City aeroplane in the static park, and Tony Douglas turned up to unveil an initiative which we'll be seeing in Europe fairly soon, which is uh, a 787 being delivered uh, in a special colour scheme uh, called the Green Liner. Mm. Um, he insisted that this wasn't a box tick- ticking exercise for the environment mm. um, we have to believe him on that although 
there wasn't too much detail about what this uh, green liner um, initiative had, other than the fact it was a decent, a nice new paint scheme on an aircraft being delivered from uh, from Boeing. But they are going to roll out some some things around this as the aircraft is. Uh, enters into service in January I think it's on the Brussels route from Abu Dhabi mm. but um, obviously journalists like to when they don't they don't get much chance to see um, the CEO that he had these days unlike his predecessor James Hogan who was very visible uh, you could you know anyone uh, who was covering it he had in the old days used to find that they could get whatever they wanted uh, in terms of access to James Hogan uh, Tony Douglas is the other other extreme but he's obviously been busy um, transforming the airline back into um, a revamped, revised business that's going to deliver to its uh, shareholder. Hmm. So he was asked about the way that the transformation program's going, and he's very honest, actually. He said it's a long journey, and they are ahead of where they hope to be, but they still have a long way to go uh, to return to, uh, well, we assume to return to profitability, which is obviously their, uh, hmm. uh, their, their ambition and target. But nothing too much on their fleet at the event. They're kind of—I know they've had some cancellations recently. That's kind of um, quiet on that on that front, I guess. The only thing really he said about fleet was, if you did the maths, you could work out they're going to consolidate around about a hundred aircraft because mm. they've got about uh, just over thirty from memory seven eight sevens at the moment, and they said that the seven eight seven will eventually reach fifty one aircraft, and it will be about fifty percent of their fleet. And the fleet at the moment is just over 100 aircraft, so that sounds like as the 787 fleet grows, they'll be uh, returning or retiring older aircraft, and so the fleet's going to consolidate around 100 units, which is obviously quite small compared with uh, mm. the airline's Gulf carrier neighbours, Emirates and Qatar Airways, which are you know, twice that and some. Yeah, and, and one interesting development around um, Etihad is the potential JV with Air Arabia, is that right? Mm. Yeah, well, they're, they're working on a, a low-cost airline, partnership mm. um, but that's all we know at the moment they're not saying any more I think there's going to be more details come out in the new year so we're waiting to hear more about that okay that's great um, thanks for your time Max and um, you can read all of our coverage from Dubai at flightglobal.com forward slash Dubai don't forget that in mid-December there's a special digital only issue of airline business sponsored by CFM International for more information go to flightglobal.com forward slash airline business so that's all for this time. You can find links to the stories we've referenced, including Max's analysis of Emirates' ever-changing fleet plans, in the podcast notes. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We'll be back again in December. In the meantime, you can stay up to date on breaking airline news stories at flightglobal.com. See you next time.